This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Bob Left Sets Podcast. My guest today is Tom Corson, who's presently co-chairman and COO of Warner Records, but he seems to have worked at every label, uh, A&M, Capital, you know, Sony, and now Warner. What makes Warner different from any of your other situations? Yeah, this is an exciting. Thank you for having me, first of all. Absolutely. Glad to have you here. Glad to be here. We've known each other a long time. I've Absolutely. I've been a big fan. And You uh, know what I think I've... We first encountered each other, I don't know if you remember, maybe before, at when they had Giant and Brian Adams, they played on the soundstage in 1990. Your wife was pregnant at yep. the time, I believe. Yep. She would have been. Very good of you to remember that. <laughs> and uh, delivered a nice, healthy girl at that time on top of our boy. Uh, who what are, are they? How old are you? How old are your kids today? They're twenty eight and thirty. Our daughter will be twenty nine in a week. And, and what are they up to? Uh, our daughter is just graduated from Chinese medical school, so she'll be your acupuncturist, okay. your naturopath, and our son is in banking and in finance, and he's an analyst at a at a, essentially a hedge fund. And where is that hedge fund? They're both here. Yeah, both our kids are in LA. So okay, we'll get back remarkable. to that. Yeah, we did meet at A&M, for sure. Right. Exactly. So, but let's start with today. What makes Warner different from uh, other labels at this well, point in time? Yeah, the opportunity that that uh, I've taken taken on at Warner you know, 21 months ago is unique. Um, you take one of the greatest record labels in history, struggling, you know, really trying to find its way. Uh, I looked at it uh, as, as an incredible chance to bring a great, great mark, a great, great brand back to its heyday. Okay, and what have you done? Well, in the last 21 months, Bob, we have changed so much of the label. We've 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 flipped 50% of the roster. 
Uh, we had a very kind of you know album oriented, not urban, not particularly pop uh, leaning roster, and we freshened it up with a lot of urban signings, a lot of pop signings. Uh, tra- artists that weren't you know dedicated to just putting out an album in the album cycle business. Some that remain are fantastic, and if you think about the Chili Peppers and Green Day and Josh Groban and Michael Bublé amongst others, they're perennials. They're all timers. You you know you don't. You don't turn your back on them. They're wonderful, and uh, and they have a lot of commercial um, uh, vitality in the market. Uh, but we needed to refresh the the younger the younger crop. And Aaron's come in about a year ago. Aaron Bayshuk, my co-chairman and CEO, he's my partner. And together, we've, we're really cobbling together a fantastic roster. And so we've, we've also changed the attitude and the brand of the company. We have a new name, Warner Records, not Warner Brothers, a new logo with Mark, We've got a new building, which is spectacular. We invite everybody to downtown LA and to the Arts District on 7th and San Mateo. And it's just a fa- – sorry, 7th and Santa Fe. Just a fantastic new building. It was the old Ford Motor Company building. We've uh, changed the entire senior management of the company and quite a few other people. And we're bringing a fresh new energy to the company that really it hasn't uh, had in many years. Okay, let's go back a chapter. You were at RCA just before this. I was. Uh How'd you decide to jump? Yeah, RCA, we, we had a great run at RCA. I, I, Peter and I took over the label in 2011. Peter Edge. Yes, Peter Edge, and a longtime friend and colleague of mine. Uh, and we put together a, a company there that I'm really proud of, you know? Um, and there were a lot of things that led to it. I'd always, but one of the main things is I'd, always, I'd wanted to move back to LA to be with my family because our kids had moved out here. It was time. And as you'll remember, I left here in 96, and uh, it was time to get back to LA. I'd always wanted to come back and talked about move, working by coastal, which I don't think is really a great leadership strategy. And especially when you're working at a turnaround, you need to be right in the middle of things. Uh, and enjoyed my time at RCA, got a lot of respect for the team there, built the team there, you know? I was at different par- RCA is an amalgam of a number of labels over many years, uh, starting in, in, in 2000 uh, with J Records merging into Arist and so forth. Um, and, and that was a tough decision. I love Sony. I love the, the management there. But I couldn't pass up the opportunity to move back to L.A. and to, to bring Warner Brothers back to – and now Warner, Warner Records back to, to its heyday, to its glory. Now – are you the one who got Aaron Bayshuck to come, or was that already in the works when you made the decision? That was already in the works. It was a strategy that Max Lasada, who was the CEO of Warner right. Music Group, Max um, put us together. It was an arranged marriage. Uh, Did you know Aaron? We'd met a couple times, but okay. I didn't know him. Right. Um, admired him from a distance. Uh, you know, he, his energy is great. His his track record is impressive. Uh, signing Bruno Mars, working with some of the artists he's worked with over the years. Uh, and just actually more than anything, just sitting down, talking with them, knowing we had really similar or almost the same values of what we wanted to do. And, uh, and where, we, where we weren't quite on the same page, we've called, cobbled together a strategy and, and a mission statement and, and, and core values that are really working for the company. So what does he do and what do you do? Uh, in the simplest fashion, I'm the operating guy and the marketing and promotion guy, and Aaron is the creative guy and signs and, and A&R is the acts. Uh, together, we, we work with our business affairs head, Julian Petty, and we do the deals. And, uh, and, and you know, but Aaron's the guy out finding and, 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 and recruiting the talent, making the records, finding great A&R people. Um, but, you know, the best companies, and I, and I think Peter and I had a good, a really good relationship that way. Great A&R people also have real good marketing instincts. Uh, great marketing people have great A&R instincts. And Aaron embodies that. And as we forge together the relationship, I'm really seeing the best of him come out. 
Okay, even though it's more under his purview, what is it like being an A&R person today? Because certainly in the old days, it was about discovering things. Mm-hmm. Now everything's available on the internet. So what what do you what's the job of the A&R man today? I don't think the job has essentially changed. It's to find amazing artists who make uh, really stellar records that hopefully become hits or they become something more 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 cultural, if you will, and 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 kind of set a tone for for music and 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 for great artistry. And there's room for that at, at great labels still. Um, but essentially, it's it's making great records and making hit songs and finding and creating stars. And and you know, so that's that starts with the A and R department and the people that are out there doing the research and going to see acts and and you know and and. It isn't. Uh, it isn't always the ones with the with the greatest data that that end up working, you know. But that's that's. It's a very data focused, data leaning uh, approach these days. And but at the end of the day, more than one label usually has the same data. More than one A and R person is usually checked out the act. Before we go deeper into the data, um, having had a long career, most of it at the top, have you ever directly signed an act? I have. I have. I've so signed a, a few of over the years. Pentatonics. I was, I was heavily involved with signing Radiohead to the U.S. label at the time um, and, and kind of led the charge on that to Capitol when Hale Milgram was running it, uh, you know, and, and on and on. You know, I've, I've, and, and, I've, and I'm always involved in, in – in, I'm not always. I'm, I'm almost always involved in everything that signed the label Well, tell us the point. story of Pentatonics because that was certainly something from left field relative to the traditional record business and was – Ultra successful. Yeah, look, they had their. They, they came off the sing off. They had, you know, nobody picked them up. It, it, it was a direct to Sony sort of relationship. Um, other labels had passed on them. In fact, we passed on them a number of times. For those who don't know, this is an acapella group. Yes, very unusual group um, who now are doing arenas and, and have are superstars. You know, and wonderful people as well. Uh, they, uh, I, I'd been watching them for a while, and 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 Lenny Beer, had, who Good co-manages them, yeah, but he co-manages them with Jonathan Calter, and and the the hits management team does it. Had brought it to me a couple times, and I'd taken it into the A and R meeting, and I got the answer I expected, which was, "Hey, this is great, but we don't get it. We don't know how that fits into what we do." And at some point, what happened was we just saw what was going on at the time at iTunes that their Christmas EP was going off, going crazy. So they put that out independently. They did. They How long after the TV show? That was about, well, it depends on which piece of product, but the, at the time we looked at it, I believe it was about three years after the, after they were. They, okay. They so it's just off. funny that there's that much, you know, stickiness in the marketplace. Yeah. Well, they, they broke off of YouTube initially. They had their own YouTube channel. They were like a top 20 YouTube music channel and, and everyone was sort of, like not liking them, they weren't. They weren't. They weren't sexy or edgy in the way that labels generally look at things. And and so I've always had a marketing, as you know, my, I'm a marketer right. by by training. And so I looked at it, and eventually I just went to Peter and I said, Peter, I'm signing this. And he was very supportive. And he said, Okay, great. I hope it works. You know, I said it's going to work to some degree. We're not going to lose money because you can see what's going right. on here. And because I, I like to think I'm a pretty good marketer, we knew what to do with it. The team bought in. Uh, well, so and, what did you do with it? Well, you know, we we did the things that they were incapable of doing in terms of maybe funding or right. having access to the right things. And ultimately, it was making sure that you know the product was was well. Uh, explained to retail at the time because a lot of it was was physical. That we already had a partner in Apple and iTunes who were very uh, supportive. Uh, Amazon had at that time was was you know more physical leaning, and they they really saw market for it. You can imagine with 
the Amazon consumer being maybe a little bit older and a little bit more mainstream and a little bit more center of America and not so coastal and hipster leaning. That was a, a no-brainer for them. Uh, and YouTube was an incredible partner. We doubled down on YouTube and video and the way you go about it. And so for- well, we, Just for those who don't know, and you're in the belly of the beast, how do you double down on YouTube? What does that look like? Well, you know, you can you, you dissect the algorithm. You look at all the different various touch points where you can reach an audience. You have data and information. It's a little bit slower. So what might those touch points be? Uh, you know, different YouTube channels, UGC opportunities that you know you can you can point to and and have uh, people do their own kind of versions of videos, if you will, or whatever happens in the UGC space. Okay, it's but let's just open. really slow. Okay, you have something you want to work; it has some traction. Yeah. So then you search who has a good audience on YouTube and Correct. approach them? Yeah, you have a, you do the research, you do the like audiences, where they're sharing, where there's some crossover, and then you put these, these then you pitch these videos for playlisting or whatever within the YouTube you know, ecosphere. And it's changed a lot since then, but it's essentially Well, let's jump to how it is now. Yeah, then that's how you would do it now. It's not okay, that, wait, it's not as that I say, way. since that physical era is essentially over, how do you deal with YouTube now? Um, well, YouTube's a great partner. They, 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 they are the you know you 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 like anybody. You introduce them to the artist. You get you get them the information. You get them excited about about the the content, and and you differentiate the artist from one another uh, from thousands of other artists who might be you know a band or a white female or an urban person or you know whatever whatever right. they whatever the kind of category you put them in. And 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 obviously, you know, they've got to get excited about the music and the content that's presented because we're storytellers. You know, we're brand builders. At the end of the day, uh, we work very obviously. We work with the brand, which is the hardest in right. the product. And you know, we sit there and say, okay, well, you are you 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 are, you are similar to these sort of artists or these sort of you know records. And because I always say, you know, I know you're totally unique, but what do you sound like? That's right. What do you sound like? And what, what are you about? Right. And, and, you, and, and with everything going socially today, you know, it's ultimately all about the music and the content, but it's also, you know, about the story, about the conversation that they're having directly with their fans, you know, and then we amplify that, you know, by, by going to places, whether it's playlisting that they can't get because they're not necessarily aligned or can't get in the media. Okay. So let's just assume that just well, let's go back one more chapter, though. So tell us the story of signing Radiohead. Yeah, well, Radiohead, what happened was it was passed on by every U.S. label in the EMI system at the time. Um, everyone was, was excited about other acts. They were a little more arty. Creep was it was a, a modest hit in the U.K. And then all of a sudden, and it's, it's, it's such an old-school story, but all of a sudden Live 105 specialty show started playing it in San Francisco. And we noticed because I was trying to get it signed to, to Capitol. And so I went to my wonderful boss at the time, Hale Milgram. I said, hey, Hale, you see what's going on over here? And there's a guy named Rob Gordon who deserves full credit, too. We were both excited about it. Now, he switched to Warner Brothers. Where's Rob today? I think Rob's freelancing. I think okay. he's a consultant. Um, and, and Rob and I got excited and said, do you mind if we take, uh, take 5,000 CD singles and seed the market in, in the Bay Area? And they sold out immediately. And then the rest is sort of history. So, did I sign them, pick them up, whatever? Okay, I you get know, that. But I was very, I, I was very involved instrumental in doing it. Okay, yeah. but did you have an inkling of what they would turn into? Mm -hmm. No, I thought, I thought they were great. But you know, 
Pablo Honey is a good is a really right. good album. It's not their best album, you know. I'll let everyone argue about whether right, which right. one it is. I mean, they're right. all they all have their own special place in folks' hearts. But they but Tom was special. The the the, the players in the band were really solid. They were growing as a live band. Uh, they had a point of view. And and when the bins came in and we heard that album, uh, it was like, oh my god, this is a great act. And uh, I left shortly thereafter and moved to Columbia. But uh, I'm really proud of the band, and they were wonderful people, and and the two managers were, were terrific, and and we had a great time, and you know they've gone on on to do to be Radiohead in of course. New York. You know? Let's stay with that for one second, because a lot of bands with longevity will say, "I signed, and everybody was here. I'm still at the label. Nobody I ever had any business with is yeah. still there." Yeah. So what's that like when you're trying to convince people to go with you? Yeah, you know, well, look, I, I point out that I was at, at RCA in some version of it for almost 20 years, you know? And so I'm not a guy who's bounced around a lot, even though I, I, I had an average in my first, you know, maybe 15, 20 years of my career of every five or six years moving labels, which, you know, I think for a young person in the business is not a bad strategy. You get different experiences, work with different people, make relationships, um, and, and, know, and have more than one way to do things. And, and labels are different. And Experiences are different, uh, but and then settling down where I really enjoyed the whole process that that I experienced from 2000 to 2018 of uh, of, of being in that system, and I liked I liked the BMG and Sony systems a lot, and and I think that 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 they were very good to 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 what I was trying to accomplish, which was you know help create big stars and big brands and, and nurture the ones that were on their way, um, and we had a great team. I worked for some of the all-time great people in the business, you know. So, I, I, you know, you know that process was was really a lot of fun. And um, let's get back to the question. I think I've lost. No, no, I think you answered it. It yeah. was, uh, you know, you said you were there for eighteen years, and so there. Oh, so what do I tell artists? Right. Yeah. Look, I tell artists it, it is is like I'm a stable guy. I plan on being here for a long time. Right. You know, and uh, and and because you know you as an artist that, that you know you're sitting there and it's they're they're on their own. You know, in a lot of ways, they're they're the brand. They're on the marquee. They're on the on the top of the of, of the package, whatever that looks like, whether it's digital or physical. And so, at the end of the day, you know, whether it works or not, it's on it's on them. And, and what happens in the meantime, they have to own. So, so my pitch to them is like, look, I plan on being around. Aaron plans on being around here for a long time. You know. And, uh, and and so our expectation is that we'll be going through many cycles together, many ups and downs, but that we'll have some measure of success and satisfaction together. Uh, you know, and, and, and that doesn't always work out. You know, people change. And I'm the, whatever I am, the fifth leader of, right. of, of Warner Records, Warner Brothers Records. But, you know, what I'd like to think is that my track record will help my, and my success will help pave a way for a really stable company for a long time. Okay. You want to say something? No, that's actually that's actually the okay. Point. Let's really slow it down and start. Okay, I'm an artist. Okay, we'll make it really left field. I'm a very successful klezmer artist. Will you sign music in any genre or music that you feel is the easiest to market to the largest segment of the market, which now is basically hip hop and pop? Mm-hmm. Um, we may not sign the klezmer artist, <laughs> mm-hmm. however. You know, we're we're interested in artists that move culture. We're interested in artists that move units. We're interested in artists that want hits and want to be global. 
Um, we're a big major label. So we have a, a new mission statement, Art Plus Impact. Art representing the scrappiness of an indie and the ability to be open to different forms of music. So we're generalists in that sense, you know? And at the same time, we're, we're, we're broadly generalists and globalists that we want to create an impact that an impact of a major can, can, can provide. So therefore, the, sh- the short answer is we're open to things that can really move culture and move units and, and be big globally. Okay, talking presently, let's just say I'm a rock band. I have fewer than a million streams on Spotify, mm-hmm. and I don't have a big audience on YouTube, but when a new, when people see them, this act, they say, this is unbelievable. Yeah. What does uh, what does Warner say then? I think we I think we then it's a value judgment. You know, then it's like, do we have a vision? Do we have a shared vision for this artist? When we sit down with them, we're excited about them. We see potential. So it's old school A and R. You know, it's old school marketing. It's like, hey, do we see a path for this artist that maybe not everybody sees? You know, and everybody has their own unique lens that they look at artists through. Because uh, once the by the way, even if the data is great, you know, and the data points you in a certain direction. Uh, there are a number of labels that won't go after something. They have because that then it comes down to the taste and the culture within the label and where the artist fits. And do we have a point of view? Do we have a vision for this artist? And does is it shared with the artist? And so, you know, there are very few artists that that all labels go for, you know, and for different reasons. But a lot of it is cultural. They just they don't mesh up nicely. You have a good meeting with one label, you have not such a good meeting with another label. And so from our standpoint, you know, it, it, it could be data-driven, but at the end of the day, we have to feel the music. Okay, so you stated earlier that you've uh, moved Warner more into the urban sphere. So if you look at the data today, if we look at Spotify Top 50, that is almost all hip-hop and pop. And for those people who don't make that kind of music, is a major label the right place for them? Are you interested in them? Absolutely. We have an artist, Suburban, that we signed right now, and and which is streaming like uh, a, a growing pop, hip-hop artist. But he's a, like more rock-leaning, you know, and now starting to chart at alternative radio. So Okay, so let's start with that. When you signed Suburban, what was the status of both the act and touring and data, et cetera? It was just a song that an indie had put out that we noticed that was that was that was streaming, that was moving. It wasn't six million globally like it is now, but it was, and it got our attention. And then you get into the qualitative part of it. Okay, the subjective part. You know, we thought this. We heard a couple more songs. We were excited by that. We met the kid. Okay, just to be clear. Someone on your team just found it. Correct. It wasn't like you were pitched by a manager or agent. Correct. Or it was okay. very early, and there and 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 the song, it was with uh, an indie called NCS out of the, out of the UK. So we had to go through that as well. But one of our A and R guys, Stefan Max, cited it, picked it up. Somebody tipped him to it. He dug in deeply. He went out, met the artist, the whole thing, and brought it in and said, "Hey, I want to sign this." And we shared that vision. And then we when we met Suburban, the artist. We thought he was terrific. We thought he had potential. He played us a couple more songs, told us his vision for this, his video of Cradles that just dropped a week or two ago. And we thought, yeah, we, we, believe, we share that vision. Okay. If you sign an act like that, is it a traditional deals, shall we say, pre-internet where you get a royalty, depending on whether it's wholesale, retail, you know, 12 to 20, 
or is it more of a revenue split after cost? What what is there's no such thing as a standard deal, but someone in that position, what kind of deal might they be offering? Uh, you know, to be honest, I don't remember that specific deal. But, uh, well, just in general, but, but, I don't but need there's to. there there's all sorts of deals that can happen now, and it depends. Like everything, it depends on what you want. How that fits with our economics, what leverage you have, what leverage we have, you know, and 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 how you're positioned within within the genre, because there's certain genres that are leaning more towards ventures now, where others are more royalty leaning. Um, which which genre? More hip hop, more hip hop, some pop, but more hip hop because hip hop. Those are leaning in which way? A little bit more venture, a little okay. more profit shares, um, but there's exceptions, you know, and 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 we're not, you know, we're open to whatever as long as we have a fairly you know, long-term, you know, um, investment or a long-term relationship with the act over, you know, four or five albums, you know, we'll do, we'll do lesser from time to time, but our feeling is that this is a long-term relationship. We're going to build a lot of asset value together and, you know, we're going to invest and, you know, you know, the odds, it, it, the, the odds, odds are, are extremely low that it won't work, you know? And, and so, but we're going to go in and seven figure level in, in almost every case, and and you know sometimes high seven figure levels before we really see what we've got and and we're up for that so we want to know we're in it together. Forget the bidding war act. The average act at this point, you know, people don't use this term that much anymore. But is it going to have to be a three sixty deal? We prefer those. And and look the view on that and they're not as egregious as they used to be when people were taking twenty percent of everything. That that I haven't seen for a long time. Um, we have a longer, more partnership approach. We have we do have a merch company and an artist called Artist Services. They're very good at what they do. They handle both artists within the Warner Music Group and outside. So we feel we can scale that internally. Is it a requirement if you don't have a merch deal to sign with your in-house? No, it's not. It is not. We'd prefer it, and but it makes things easier on 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 a D to C level, on a VIP right. level, on a merch level. We can we it's more holistic, and 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 there's a there's a shorter line of communication, a more efficient line of communication. Okay, so I ha I've always wondered. Uh, people might say, and I'm not. I'm talking about history as opposed to you in uh, specifically, that royalties are not that accurate or get paid by the labels. How does the label ensure that they're not screwed by the act on touring and whatever other uh, income there is? Well, we have uh, we have language in the agreements that we expect people to honor, and at the end of the day, there are acts. Most acts do pay you, and they and they there's they're they step up and there may be some accounting that that is might be missing a piece or two from time to time so you have to sometimes have that conversation but by and large the acts are stand up acts and the ones that choose maybe not to pay you there's recourse um, you know and and you'd prefer to avoid that and just have a straight up relationship um, but you know there's future advances and royalties and this and that and you might have language in the deal that says hey we can recover you know, unpaid 360 uh, revenue from somewhere else. Um, it depends on the deal. It depends on the label and when it was done, you know, but we'd prefer not to get into Okay, that. so let's just assume I have, you know, a three-album deal within five years and it plays out and we both decide to go our separate ways. Let's just assume you own the masters, okay? Uh is there Are there any sunset clauses or anything on these other streams of revenue? Uh, there may be. You know, there may be, but but more likely when the, when our deal expires, it expires and you move on. But there may be a sunset clause depending on the nature of the conversation at the time of the deal was done. Let's go to the other extreme. Someone like Lil Nas X, someone who's blowing up traditionally hip-hop acts in the last 24, 36 months. The data is there. They're streaming. They're part of 
Are that something you're interested in getting into? I'm sorry. Something that has proven itself such that they are willing to go with a major label, but the deal is going to be harsh. Yeah, look, and by the way, the deal for Lil Nas X wasn't harsh, you know, Um, but look, we have an act called NLE Choppa, and Choppa had a track called Shot of Flow, or has a track called Shot of Flow, which blew up. And it was on an indie called United Masters, and, you know, but it was one of the- This United Masters, uh, what's his name? Steve Stout, yeah. yeah. So, so- but he didn't really have any futures. Right. You know, he had a he had a, a short window, um, and so we went after it, and 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 it was a very uh, robust deal. And at the end of the day, we penciled it out, and we got the deal. Um, we develop, we believe in the kid. We think we, his name is Bryson. We think he's a star, and just dropped a, a track in a video called Camelot, which is exploding twenty five million streams a week globally. He's he's a video you know figure. He just reacts video wise as well. And and we feel like we got one, you know. Um, but he's it's a little early for for we're now crossing in into urban radio. It's more of a traditional move in that sense. Lil Nas X has proven to be more of a pop facing act at the moment. Uh, we're very uh, envious of his of his success and excited for for Columbia. But you know we feel like you know we've got a couple of our own that we're building as well. But we're up we're up for picking up quick hits. I mean, absolutely, we're in that business. But we're also in the long term artist development business. Okay, but you said earlier that you're signing more urban artists as opposed to the old album cycle. So let's assume you sign an act. The act urban, has, urban and pop. Urban I mean and that, pop. But at the same time, we're broadening. We're a full-service company. We've signed rock acts. We've signed, you know, we're, we're open to just great artists. Okay, so let's, but just for the sake of discussion, well, any new artist you sign, okay? In the old days, everybody wanted to make their album. Let's just assume I don't have incredible traction in the marketplace. What is the label going to say relative to product? The label is going to say, "Let's we're going to err on the side of putting out more product than less. We're going to do it in a way that is is custom or bespoke to that artist trajectory. We're going to do Good it. Good term, bespoke. We're going to do it uh, as my British relations. Uh, <laughs> we're going to do it in, in, in a fashion where we feel like we have the story and the content built around it that makes sense. We're going to learn probably more a track by track and maybe a, an EP or a mixtape, depending on what genre it's in. Um, and but albums are albums still matter because albums become sort of the anchor in most cases for the artist brand. You know, what do you name the tour? What's the theme to what the artist is doing at the moment? What is what's the storyline through the album in many cases that is the narrative that takes this beyond just music and, and and just a video. So it's talked about socially. It's talked about in fashion. Remember, these artists are brands. They have they have they, and they're three and they're three sixty brands in the sense that they can do a lot once they're established. They, and they don't even have to be that big. Start working with brands and being considered for film and TV. And you know, it's a it's a multimedia kind of marketplace now. And we need to 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 keep that in mind whenever we do things. So the 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 cycle, you know, is always on. However, you have to have a reason to come to market with music. You can't just put it out and hope. And so that's where we work very hard, and that's part of the brand building and the narrative and the storyline that, that really is the essential part of, like, why this artist, why now, why this music, why this video, et cetera. What's the story and okay, why should I care? Okay, let's just say you have an artist, and a new artist, relatively unknown. Is it basically fishing? You put out single and single, and then once, if hopefully you get traction, then you work on that single specifically. Um, it, that's one. That's one strategy. Yeah, and and that's that's a 
fairly tried and true strategy. And and what you're doing with the singles, you're not necessarily or the songs or whatever you want to call them, the tracks. You're not expecting everyone to be a single. Single means kind of you're 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 out with the expectation that it's some form of a hit. Right. You know, you're 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 sometimes you're just telling a story. You know, we might be out with a single and put out a couple tracks because maybe that maybe that single needs sort of sustenance under it and more of the artist conversation, something for the artist to talk about while they're while they're working the single, something for the fans to relate to, or it has a different reason. So it's all it's all custom. It's all it's all individually done. Okay. Now my friend Richard Griffiths, who managed One Direction and still manages Niall Horan and a million million other people, he said a stiff no longer hurts you. That if you put out a single and it doesn't succeed there's no tarnish your career as long as you come up with a hit thereafter. Would you yeah. agree with that? Yeah, I think I largely agree with that. But I would say, you know, failure always stings, and 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 it always. It, hopefully, it's a learning moment and a learning experience, and you don't double down on something that didn't work. But um, but you've got it. You you can't have too many failures in a row, you know. And then because I think then the question is, are we doing the right thing? Is this the right music? Is this the right artist? Is this actually somebody we can scale? To your point earlier, our right. point earlier, failure is the norm. You know, right. success is is unusual. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Thursday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Oh, it's such a clutch pickup, Dave. <laughs> I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to 
bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. It's a matter when you give up. Okay, so going back to the, I didn't really formulate this question, back to the Spotify Top 50, which is essentially hip-hop and pop. Will that, I, I know you're a full-service company, but would you lean that way because that is definitive of a lucrative marketplace? Well, I mean, we have to be competitive, right? We have to, we have a, I have a P&L to, to meet. I have a budget to, to serve to our, our owner, you know, and, 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 and our team. And so, of course, we have to be, we have to serve the market and what the market wants. But, you know, that doesn't mean you're just, I mean, what the mistake we could make was just doing the same thing that everybody else is doing, going to trying to find another little Nas X or whatever, who's a needle in a haystack, by the way. I mean, right. I mean, you know, but we want to find something that we think is next, is next in hip hop and pop. And, and you know, pop and hip hop and music mute, mutate every day. They mutate right. all the time. You hear it. Sounds come in, flavors come in, hairstyles come in, you know, fashion comes in. Different ways of breaking things. TikTok didn't matter a year ago. It's now it's now pushing artists up into the ecosystem dramatically and quickly. Um, so yeah, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the next thing that came along was some new form of rock that that stunned everybody. I mean, I mean, it wasn't long ago that Twenty One Pilots, you know, right. kind of just made this gargantuan leap from from the alternative sort of touring business to having pop hits, you know, um, I, I, I see that coming again, you know, it's, it's definitely on it. So, so, you know, you can't chase after a genre that isn't working. That would be foolhardy. You do have to pay attention to the market forces, but, uh, you can't also ignore the fact that music and genres mutate and, and re, redef, redefine and reinvent themselves. Well, certainly on Spotify, where all the data of the terms of the number of streams is visible to everybody if they know how to extract it from the desktop app, mm -hmm. although it's on the most successful singles on every app, uh, that's hard data. How important is the Billboard chart to you? Billboard chart is important. Um, it's it's It's... It's a, it's a measure of success. It, it, it's marketing, it's advertising, it's, it's a way to kind of look at your competition. Uh, we are a business. We have to have key performance indicators that we can show to justify our needs and also to pitch to artists and managers and lawyers and say, look, we're competitive. We have X number of records in the top 100. We have this sort of market share, this sort of chart share. This is why we're viable. And, 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 and so it does matter. And do we live and die off of it every day? No, you know, because every day is a different day. We have different needs and, and goals as we, as we move along. But charts matter, and charts, charts are also fun. It's fun to be number one. It's, <laughs> well, it's fun to great. get a top 10. Good to be the king. It is. But what about, you know, many people say there's a manipulation of the chart now because people are bundling. What's your the album chart. Yeah, yes. right. yeah. I mean, I mean, yes. That's a form of manipulation. Uh, it is. It is. It is official. It is. We we all have opportunity to do it. 
Um, I don't think that it's artificial in most cases. I think that it's if, if someone's gaming it, then they're smarter than I am, and and that's not hard to do. But you know, uh, being smarter than me, not I, game, I heard gaming that. it. I don't but, believe that, but I'll let it go. <laughs> but you know, it, it's it. You know, it's unique that you can really drive that much um, product. You know, you have to be a pretty substantial yeah, artist right, right. to make it matter to begin with. So, so you've got to get there first, and then you can figure out, you know, what maneuvers you can make. But, you know, my my feeling is like game on. You know, I mean, you know, as if the consumer is parting with their hard earned money and they're voting for their artist. And as long as you're not doing something that that is is untoward and 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 you're gaming it, then then so be it. But it it should be transparent. It should be clear what the rules are. It should it shouldn't morph every three months because somebody's lobbying, you know, to get a number one. It should be no, it's this and it's not that. And it should be very clear. And Billboard's making great strides to do that. Okay. And how important is radio today? Radio is very important today. Um, Different in a different way than it was before, because radio is a lot of different things now too, um, because they you know they have streaming capabilities. Certainly, iHeart does, and 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 XM, Sirius XM is is a great has, are great marketers, and they're they're great at you know providing a, a really interesting service in what they do. Um, and you know when you look at what iHeart does and and, and some of the other uh, chains, they they build out and have you know shows and TV shows and events. Uh, and brand affiliations, it can be very, very helpful. Um, so while while we're going through a phase where airplay itself isn't maybe where people discover music the way they used to five or six years ago, there's an element of, of that that is still there with a certain consumer that maybe isn't streaming or just loves radio and they love the theater of radio and the, and the relationship they have with it. Because as you remember, radio is local, you know, whereas, you know, streaming is global. And you know, and and so there's an opportunity that rate that the smart programmers and smart marketers at radio have to continue to to amplify both the scale of what they've got and actually keep things local. And and you know, it's a it's a different form of entertainment. But we don't live and die on radio quite the same way we used to. But in order to really scale a hit song, you've got to have radio. Okay, now in you know decades past. A record could have less than a two-month lifespan on radio. Now the record can go for a year. Okay, how do you feel? And of course, Lizzo, the record is in the marketplace for a long time before it gets on radio. Mm-hmm. How does this affect you on your end? I'm sure you're frustrated that there aren't slots on these stations. Yeah, well, look, it, it, yes, but at the same time, you know, there. I don't feel it's that. I don't, I don't feel we're that challenged at the moment. I think it's always hard to get your song played and to, and to explain a new song, or especially off a new act and so forth and so on. And the Lizzo story is amazing. Hats off to her and to her team in Atlantic. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd like I'd like it to cycle in and out. I'd like you know there not to be thirty week number one records. I'd like you know we'd like to see it be more fluid. Um, Pop still is pretty good at that. You know, um, other formats, alternative seems to take forever. Um, I don't think it's healthy for the formats and healthy for the, it's certainly not healthy for the artists. And, and you know, for us, we're partners with radio. So I, I just think it's a challenge they have to kind of think their way through it. But they're, in a, they're selling advertising. They're in, a, they're in a different game than we are. They need familiarity and comfort. And the listener wants needs to go there and, 
and 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 feel like they are being super served with what they want and, and need. And unfamiliarity is challenging. It doesn't. It, it isn't always something that that the consumer wants. Okay, so in the old days, certain publicity goals be on late night TV, be covered in the newspaper. Uh, a, do those things work? And B, if and if they do or they do not, where you focus your marketing uh, efforts these days? Yeah, well, just to, to answer the last part of that question, the, the, a lot of the marketing efforts is some form of digital connection, you know, a social connection. So whether that's you know paid. Uh, paid media to to bring attention to an act, or whether it's uh, moving artists into a space or creating content. Let's just be a little, you know. Let's assume you're buying ads or paid media. What would that literally look like online? Uh, it depends on which on which on which platform you're. Well, which platform and is it, the and, one? Well, we use all of them. And, you do, and, and they're different depending on the song and the genre and how the artist moves, and whether they're urban or pop or. Well, let's start or with the big Kahuna Instagram. What might you do on Instagram? Well, Instagram's you know that's more of an artist to fan you know relationship, and right. and, and 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 less. You know, we'll we'll do some we'll do some paid media on that, but it's 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 more of an of what you put up there content wise. So we'll invest in content, okay. whatever that is. I got. You. We'll invest in whatever that means. The story, whether it's fashion one moment or whether it's you know teasing the song the next moment or showing something from the live show, and that's artist driven. That's really that's really direct relationship as direct as you can get from the artist to their to their following. You know. And what would you advertise or do something on Twitter? Uh, probably not. We, I mean, we, we will do things on Twitter. I right. We won't advertise much on Twitter. Um, but, but, you know, we'll try things out and Facebook has, Facebook still is relevant for a certain type of acts. And obviously they have the biggest scale out there right. and you can move the needle. We did it recently with Michael Buble, you know, and, and, and. So what did you actually do? With uh, we took some ads that, that pointed to this song forever now. And it was an activation that happens organically off of a mom's related site and there was a Whoa, video. little bit slower so okay. you're taking the ads on facebook and then what so here's what happened there was a video for forever now right michael has a song out forever now off his last latest album and the video was about essentially a kid growing that a, a, an empty room that changed as a kid grew old and then the kid went off to college and the boxes went up and it happened to be picked up by um i believe motherly.com uh, a site directed to moms at the time when kids were going back to school and so it 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 evoked an emotion and it went viral. And so we were looking to spin that into more spins at radio and more sales of the album. So we took some ads to, to kind of, to, to amplify that, that emotion, to amplify that video and to point to people. And then we got our press department involved. So it was, I think Hoda was talking about it on the Today Show. And, you know, we brought it to everybody's attention. That's our job. That's the amplification part of it. You might miss it if we didn't publicize it. You might miss it if we didn't advertise it. And we have the resources and the staff to do that. You know, that's what a major label does. Staying with a major label, Chance the Rapper famously did not have a major label. But is he sui generis? Is there just one of him? Or how often are you interested in an act? They say, no, I want to do it myself. Yeah, what happened, very seldom. Chance appears to be a bit of a unicorn. They come on, along every so often, and pat more power to him and his team. You know, uh, we actually have a label deal with his manager Pat Corcoran that we just spun up this year, and it's going well. Uh, so, um, but but to me, that's unusual. But but in terms of the scale that Chance achieved, but there are a lot of acts where where being independent might work better for them. It depends on how they want to move, how they want to be flexible whether they really want to be global superstars. Do they want to have hits? Do they want to stare, 
you know, out into into that vast void and say, I can conquer this. You know, it's it's a big undertaking, and and it takes a lot of ambition and focus and talent, and not everybody has all three of those. Now, let's assume you sign. Everybody's a go. What do you say to the acts about participation in social media? Well, look, they they have to be natives. They have to feel comfortable with it. But they've but it really benefits them to be in it. And I I think it'd be very tough to sign an act that just said, "Hey, I'm not doing anything." You know. Having said that, there's no rules. We'd have to see. Maybe that's the next great move. <laughs> it's not to be involved in social media, but it it would make it harder for everybody, most likely. Let's just assume you had a campaign on one social media platform. Facebook's probably the easiest, and you didn't go viral. It wasn't a matter of you know some other website picking it up. Is that effective? Just pure like a pure advertising right. play. Um, yeah, it depends on the artist. Usually for something like that, that's very traditional brand marketing. That's right. like we have a known brand, we're communicating, or a known artist, we're communicating the new album that's coming out. We know where their following is. The research tells us this. The insight tells us how to move. The analysis points to Facebook. You know, let's go where this artist's fans are on Facebook and make sure they know that this album single video is coming out. Let's go back to the beginning. So you grew up where? I grew up in Seattle, Washington. Seattle, Washington. What did your parents do for a living? My mother was a homemaker. My father was a math professor at the University of Washington. A what professor? Math professor. Math professor. I can't imagine that. The University of Washington. How many kids in the family? Three. I have two older sisters. And what are they up to? Uh, well, one lives in Connecticut, and uh, and she's she's now full-time mom. And my other sister, who's living in La Jolla, is a, is a lawyer. Okay. Since retired. So did your parents and your father is certainly a highly educated person. Did they impart to you a certain direction they wanted you to go in? No, my, my parents would go make yourself happy, do something you love, and they never really understood what I do, but they really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> they liked that I was happy. Okay, so how big a music fan were you growing up? Oh, pretty big. But I honestly never knew it was a business. It never occurred to me like I could have a career in the music business. I thought, I just never thought of it as a job. And and I kind of still don't, which is the great thing. So I lucked into it. You know, I lucked into it. Okay, so you lucky. were you went to college where? UCLA. UCLA. How'd you end up going to UCLA? Uh, I my dad said you have to go two states away, minimum, and I'll pay for school, but you have to go to a public school. The best schools two states away. We're in California, and I got into UCLA, and because I was a big sports fan, and I was also a soccer player, and um, I thought, I'm going to try to make the team at UCLA, and I made the JV team for two years, and that was a lot of fun. And uh, But I always thought the UCLA was the coolest school out there, and I still feel that way. Okay, what was your father's logic on the two states away? He wanted you to go out. He said, look, while you can be supported, and we're not going to give you a lot of money, right. but we're going to give you enough to live on, you can figure out how life really works, and you're going to manage your life, and you'll have a little bit of, of resource to do that with. We'll be there if, if the shit hits the fan, but you know you need to go at least two states away so you can't just run home every time there's a problem. Okay, how good a soccer player were you? Pretty good, but not good enough. <laughs> when did you realize you weren't good enough? Kind of the first day I showed up and there were players from the U.S. Olympic team on the field, <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm gonna, maybe if I try really hard. And and I had a, I had great fun, but I never was quite good enough to make the varsity. Okay. Did you get playing time when you were in the JV? Oh, yeah. I started every game. And then how did you decide, I'm done? Uh, you know, the co- I realized after two seasons, the coach was just playing his scholarship players because I practiced with the varsity all the time. Right. And I thought, I'm good enough to play on this team. And I probably was. But, you know, it wasn't maybe one of his guys and all that. 
And then sadly, the, the assistant coach kind of liked me. It was this guy, famous soccer coach later on, it turned out, a guy, guy named Ziggy Schmidt, who coached the Galaxy and Seattle Sounders and the U.S. under-20 men's team. And he liked me, and, he, and I think he kept putting me in to the practices. And I'd mark out the forward, and I was a defender, and I'd, I'd take care of the forward and do a pretty good job. And but but then I just I just said you know I got to go figure out what I'm gonna do with my life I can't spend the whole summer and the whole fall playing soccer you know and then think about it the rest of the year and so um, I went off you know looking for other things to do but but it's kind of heartbreaking to give up the dream yeah you know what it it was the right time though and some, when you give up the dream sometimes the dream has given up on you as well <laughs> and but I played I played until I was 47 you know Oh really? Yeah. You know, and fun. where did you play? Uh, all over the place but last time at Chelsea Piers in New York five aside then I just realized I was a step behind and about 10 years too old to do it. And I, I hung up the spikes. Did your son play uh, yeah, soccer? He, yeah, he played he went to school at Claremont McKenna. He played 4 years there. He's, he is a good player. Okay. Okay. So you go to UCLA and you drop out of the soccer track. So then you say, I want to find your way. How does it end up being music? Well, between my junior and senior year. Well, let me actually rewinding. I was in a fraternity. A couple of my fraternity brothers interned at A&M Records and they would come are home. Are they people we would know? They are not. Okay. They, they got out of the business many okay. years ago. One guy never got beyond right. an internship. Um, and then they, uh, but they'd come on with albums and concert tickets and they always had a nice looking girl in their arm. <laughs> and I thought, I, that's something I'm interested in. <laughs> right. and I, but I just thought I'd do it as an intern. And I was supposed to go do a, a paid internship in the Justice Department, and it got canceled. And my parents, and I said, well, can I just go to do an unpaid internship in D.C.? And they said, no, we won't pay for it. And which, which as looking back on it, turned out to be fate. Right, great decision. Exactly. And then that night, I got a knock on, on my door and about midnight. And my so you're living at the fraternity? Living at the frat. My fraternity okay. brother, Richard Carrillo, came in and he said, hey, you remember we talked about this thing a couple months ago? Nine o'clock tomorrow, you're coming in with me. And I said, okay. And kind of the rest is history. I, I, I was a wide-eyed kid who didn't know anything about the music business. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Okay. But traditionally, especially back then, that was a very hard internship to get. Really tough. Really tough. The irony was I thought it was A&M Records, which this other guy had. It turned out to be IRS records, and I had no idea what there right, was about. Right, right. So, but I was a pretty big music. So, what year are we in, approximately? Eighty-one. Okay, so the police have already broken. Yes. IRS is a known quantity. That's right. I and I, but IRS was just starting to break. Literally, like the week I started, the Go Go's released right. their first single, and then a year later it was multi platinum. But they weren't on the map as a label, other than just being a cool new wave label. Right. Wall of Voodoo, you know, the Cramps, etc. Wasmo Nariz. I mean, you can go on. Okay, so you work that summer, then you go back to school and what? Go back to school, but intern the whole year. And they give me 75 bucks a week. Thank you, Jay Boberg and Barbara Boland. Give me 75 bucks a week to, um, to hang around. And so I go to school less and less, and I'm hanging around more and more at the record label. And I'm doing odd jobs over the week and driving the Go-Go's around to concerts, doing things like that, things you do, looking after Sting's motorcycle because was, Miles was in and out of the business. And it was, it was so much fun. And uh, so I finished school, and about a month or so before I finished school, they offer me a job, and I accept on the spot. How much money and what kind of job? Well, this is a great story. So Boberg takes me out to dinner. Jay Boberg. At Shay J in Santa Monica. Those people who watch uh, Goliath, 
That's, of course, where Billy Bob hangs out, right, right by the beach. That's right. It's a classic old watering hole. So we're sitting where down. Where was the office? Their office was where at the at time? At the A&M lot. Okay. Yeah, So, um, which is now Henson Studios. Right. So we go down there to dinner, and, and Jay says, well, we'd like you to come be our director of merchandising, I think, was the first job, whatever that was. And I said, great. How much? He goes, two fifty a week. <laughs> and I'm thinking about it for a second. And I said, you know, Jay, I didn't go to college to make less than 300 He goes, done. So, <laughs> So, well, what inspired you to negotiate? I I had to stick up for myself. <laughs> but then I realized I was uh, it was the first bad deal I made. He obviously right, right. could have come up with an extra 50 bucks. Although funny enough, Jay and I have remained friends. Uh, and and he said, you know, Tom, there, there were weeks when I didn't get paid so everybody else could. So it was probably, you know, as much as he could he could spring for it. And your parents were fine with you making 300 a week? They were fine. Okay, fine. So you go to work, and what does it look like? And it, you know, I'm doing everything. I'm, I'm, I'm merchandising record stores. Back in the day, when you would put up posters, posters. Jason, how Jason Flom started too. That's right. I'm taking inventory. I'm, I'm putting, I'm putting clean records, commercial records, when bands come through town into places like Aaron's Record and Vinyl Fetish and Licorice Pizza and all that, because they didn't always take our stock, or they might be out of stock. We didn't ship a lot of records in those days. I'm, I'm sometimes going so to just re- to be. Okay, let's say Aaron's, which was on Melrose. Yeah. They're not stocking a record. You would go in there with cleans, meaning there's no cutouts, doesn't show it's a promo, and you would just stick them in? Yeah, I talked to the the store manager or owner and, and uh, at the Indies, and I'd say, hey, look, um, we have REM coming to town. Right. Who's that? Well, they have this, this EP called Chronic Town. I don't see that you have this, or you have one copy. And, and K-Rock maybe had just started to play it. Rodney might have played it or something in a specialty show or, or uh, KCR, KCRW's playing it. Or they're just they're selling out this, this gig. I need to put five in here. Is that okay? Sure. You and know? if they sold them, they took all the revenue. They took all the revenue. But we got, we got music into people's hands because we got no revenue at all. It was, it, was, it was seeding the market. And so it was what you did. You didn't do it a lot. Because it's not a of good, course it's not, not a every sustainable was, business right. model, but but if Let's Active comes to town, who was you know baby REM, you know with Mitch Easter producing them, that's that's what we did, and and you know, and then when sometimes it works, it's like the five thousand you know CD singles for Radiohead, right? Holy shit, we got a hit! It's like let's go, and so and I did that, and and I and I was I, I used to actually order all the merchandising, get the art from the art department, order it. I learned about printing presses, I learned about color separations, I learned about ordering and, and pricing things. I would then get all the stuff in, be in the merchandising warehouse, roll the posters up, box up the flats, anything out, ship them out to the distribution people. It's where I first met a bunch of people. Their names were on the on the mailing list. Ship them out all over the U.S. They would then order more. I'd keep the inventory. I kept all the promos closet full of promos of everything where's you know? that stuff today yeah who knows, who okay. knows? and uh hopefully collectible some of it you know i mean i probably had some highly collectible stuff in there okay so how long do you do that job for? uh and then i became you know director of sales director of promotion. okay well, that's why my net uh, go sideways for a second so who else was working there other than jay who sustained yeah jay and miles obviously owned the company and jay sustained miles copeland yeah and barbara bolin was a really prominent figure she was probably vp of sales the the uh, world famous attack hamster Michael Plynn, one of the great promotion Legendary stories promotion of, guy. Uh, in the world. A woman named Kyle Hetherington, who was also a great promotion person, who left the business uh, a while ago now. But she's she's lovely. A young guy named Steve Tip and I started the, around the same Sells time. Sells real estate now, but worked at Warner for a long time. Yeah, and Steve and I literally started like the same week or two, and he went off to Warner. 
And I was always jealous. He got the great, he got the great so did, okay, job. So now you have a job, you're making your $300 a week. Is there a dream? Yeah. I, I want to, I, well, the first, once I got over the idea after two years that I probably wasn't going to go back and get an MBA and get a real job. Right. I then was like, you know what? I like this. Maybe I want to run one of these companies one day. So my ambition pretty much solidified pretty quickly. I'd like to be president of a meaningful record label one day. And, you know, I had, I had shots over the years of managing artists and doing different things with digital companies. And I just, I just stayed through the thick and thin. Okay. So how long were you at IRS? Four years. And then what happens next? Then I got the break of a career. So um, I got a guy named Gil Friesen, a legendary no longer guy. with us, but... Yeah, my mentor, my true mentor. At A&M mentor. Records. Yeah, I was president of A&M. And every so often, he would hire someone um, to be his executive assistant. These days, that would mean secretarial sort of administrative work. That, it was actually a management trainee position. And so Jeff Gold, Jeff Aroff, right. et cetera, Michael Leon, some guys who, to me, are legendary and were also mentors and friends of mine still... They were previously in that role. So I snatched at it, and I got a nice 50% raise. I was almost to 40000 a year uh, then. and, uh, and But it was I got to be trained by one of the great thinkers in our business who was really way ahead of most people thinking through the business. He would work with people like Peter Drucker, the legendary, you know, kind of the, the, the father of the, new, of the modern masters of business administration um, uh, idea. And a great, a great advisor to many, many uh, industry, uh, titans of industry. Gil would work with him, or he'd go think about this differently or that differently. And obviously, Jerry Moss and Herb Alpert are just legendary entrepreneurs. And and I got to to like you know play sidecar with Gil for five years. It was remarkable. Okay, how did he pick you out? He Jeff Gold, right? Who now says Mitzel's memorabilia, but started in your role, became a marketing guy. Exactly. He recommended me. And I think a couple other people, Michael Leon, a couple of those people were supportive. Um, and But I think Jeff was the guy that said, hey, Gil, you should meet this kid. And and we hit it off. And and actually, the, the beauty of it is his, his my wife was his assistant. So it's all in the family. Okie dokie. How long... <laughs> Were you in the position working with Gil before it was a romance with your wife? Couple of years. Couple of years. She she started after me. I advised him not to hire her because she didn't really want the job. She told me, and then she ended up taking the job and working. Oh, with she didn't want the job because <laughs> uh, she was thinking she was only. Get, she's British, so she, okay. Susan was thinking she'd only be in town for. Several months with her then boyfriend, and uh, well, it gets more complicated. Yeah, oh yeah, this is getting too personal. No, but no, anyway, no, 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 no. We're hitting the it's, 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 it's so, a great story. Okay, well, so keep going. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, she's working there for at least a year before we hit it off, and you know, and then and then it moved very quickly, and within like a year and a half, we were married. Okay. When you start to hit off, is the boyfriend still in the picture? Briefly. And how did it end? How did he get out of the picture? Uh, I think she told him it was okay. Over. <laughs> it wasn't your it wasn't on your shoulders. Well, only that I'm irresistible. Right. But you know, other than that, you didn't have to stand fault. up to him and say, "Hey, <laughs> no, you know." He was a great guy, so I, I felt I, I honestly felt badly about that. Okay, so you were there. Did uh, Jeff Gold was he there in that assistant? Jeff role? left shortly there after I got into. Go but did to he do it for five years? I don't know how long he did the assistant position, right. but he was he was a proper uh, VP of creative and right. other things by the time I got there. Yeah. So you worked for your five years, which brings us to what year? Nineteen ninety. Okay, and A and M was sold to Polygram. That's right. And Gil left and went on his merry way to do his great the great things right. that he did then, and and they made me head of marketing. VP of marketing and Jerry. Okay, so 
Uh, this was before Al Cafaro took over. Yeah, it was right at the same time. So Al got the he at that time I think either got the presidency or GM. I can't remember. Right. He he became the leader of the company day to day. I got the VP of marketing. So job. Where, where did Garano fit in on this? Garano Garano uh, came in a few years before that to be head of artist development. Right. And Jim Jim was a really good friend of mine. We used to play basketball every Saturday. Uh, you know, at his house one on one, and. Um, and he and Michael Leon and I, Michael, myself and Michael Leon, and there was somebody else involved, maybe Wayne Isaac, I can't remember. We recruited Jim into the company, and uh, he did very well. Okay, so he was artist development, and you were marketing. Yeah, that's right. And how long were you there in that position? Only for about a year. And then what, you got poached by Capital? Yeah, I got poached by Capital. And how did you decide to leave the family? Uh, it, was, it wasn't, uh, it, was, it was time. Uh, you know, I, I didn't think that the new leadership was really the kind of direction that I'd wanted to go. And I could feel the company changing. And then I met Hale Milgram at a dinner party. Who had come from Electra to run Capital. That's right. And he, he was wonderful. And, I, you know, and then he offered me this great opportunity to run the international department at Capital. And I, I snatched it. It was great. I didn't know you ran an international first. I mean, that's and back then, especially you flew all over the world. I I flew two hundred fifty thousand air miles a year for three years. Would your wife say? She said, "Come home." <laughs> <laughs> I got two little kids, and I need you home. But are you kidding? She was the most supportive person in the world, and uh, I, obviously she had to be. You know, I mean, because because it was just tough. Because there were no emails then, you right? Know, no cell phones. It was all. Landlines and texts, uh, landlines and faxes, you right. know, and and it was tough. And after three years, Hale threw me a lifeline and pulled me back in to run marketing at Capital. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day, and a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Thursday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. 
Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Okay, now, ultimately, Charles Koppelman and his team Mm -hmm. took over. Where did that leave you? Yeah, well, so Charles came in, um, changed changed leadership, brought in Gary Gersh. Right. And uh, and that was a very different perspective. And Gary's a super talented guy. He was riding the Nirvana wave at that point and counting crows and whatever. So he came in, and Gary had a very different approach. Uh, to hell, but I got along fine with Gary. Well, what was just for those who may not know, what was the difference in approach? Um, you know, Gary. Gary was more aggressive. He was more um, opinionated about day to day. Not to say that Hale didn't have an opinion or a right. point of view. He was an A and R guy and not a marketing guy. Um, he was more. He was more about the 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 band culture, if you will, and all that. And and so I think I got the benefit of both of their best, you know, things. And after a couple of years uh, with Gary, I got approached by 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 Sony, and and uh, about about a little about a year and a half with Gary, I got approached by by Columbia Records by Don Einer. Um and it, it it was a strange time because the Northridge earthquake had just happened, <laughs> 1994. Yeah, I still haven't recovered. Okay. No, and so and 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 it scared the hell out of us. And right. Where were you living at that time? In in Studio City in Sherman okay. in Sherman okay. Oaks, which was the second most damaged zip code. And so and we got hundred thousand dollars worth of damage in 1994 at our house. Right. So that was terrifying. We had two little kids, and uh, and then and so we were thinking about do we want to live here anymore? And and Donnie came in like maybe seven or eight months later and offered me, and remember, this is Columbia Records at the time, which was mighty, you know, right. and Big Red in its glory. And Donnie is, is the fearless commander. What year are we in now? Probably almost 95. Okay. Like end of 94, 95. And um, so, you know, I, I, I thought long and hard about it, but it seemed like it was the time to go. You know, our kids were five and seven and actually at that point, six and four. And then, so I had to work another year at at Capital and kind of work off my contract. And then, and then Gary was generous enough to let me out um, a bit early, and I stepped into uh, the war zone with Columbia Records. So, what was that like? It was it was a major cultural, uh, like wake up call. Um, it wasn't L.A. It wasn't uh, it wasn't Capital. It was Big Red and Donnie Einer was you know the you know the sergeant rock or the commander <laughs> right, or exactly. general Patton, exactly or whatever you want to say right right and a bunch of guys in suits and who are number one or one they weren't quite number one when i arrived they'd fallen off for a year or two and i think donnie was under a lot of pressure and and uh so it was culture shock for me initially it took me a good year to figure it out and to figure out how i fit in and i didn't fit in i was a little bit of uh of of you know of, of an awkward duck there within that company of an ugly swan or whatever, ugly duckling. And, and, but I really saw though an incredible machine and it's, and it was exactly what I needed at the right time. And Donnie was a great leader. Now to what degree where you say you didn't fit in, how much did you feel the pressure? Uh, tremendously, tremendous pressure. Remember I was 36 years old, you know, 
um, with a wife and two kids, and I waited a year to get there, and it was like, holy shit, this is hardcore. And Donnie tested me, you know. And well, what would that look like? He's just a he's just a a, a fearless leader, a hard driver, a, a, an emotional guy, you know, um, intimidating, um, inspiring, you know, uh, one of the great record men, uh, you know, of all time. And 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 and, and you know, look at the track record. You know, as a label guy, you know, he was incredible. You know, and he was he was polarizing, you know. It could be very difficult. But uh, you know, I have great respect for for him as a as a strategist and and an execute a person who could execute. Now you're you're there when he gets blown out. No, I am later on. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So did you see that coming? You know, yes and no. I mean I mean I saw it coming because I, I had I was at a much more privileged position than many years later in 2005 maybe. So what was your obviously you were an insider, but what was your actual title? I believe I was GM of of uh, JRS or J or RCA. I can't remember exactly. Okay. And and it was recent. You know, the companies were recently merged. There were a lot of politics going on. You kind of didn't know which side it was going to come down on, and uh, it came down on the BMG side of it. And Donnie was a casualty, and but I still kind of couldn't believe it. I was like, God, that guy was like, you know, End Superman. Of an era. Yeah. Okay, so you worked with Clive. What was that like? Clive, Clive was amazing and is amazing. Um, and I have a lot of love for Clive, Clive. Davis, of course. Yeah, um, and a taskmaster and, and an absolute perfectionist. And nobody works harder. Nobody's more strategic. And he was he would manage the minutia down to the font on the sticker on the album cover uh you know and and at the same time have the big picture and the vision to both create stars and resurrect superstars you know and and his 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 and he's insatiable you know he's just incredible so how did you jump to to clive, clive to yeah. terrista i was recruited you know this is when it was jay this is when it was no it was arista before it turned into jay correct so i i, I was at arista about six months but as a columbia records company into my deal um, I was approached by by Arista, had breakfast with Clive, and there's a guy named Charles Goldstock, who's Clive's right-hand guy. We knew each, knew each other. We worked together. Where's Charles Goldstock today? He's doing Hitco with L.A. Reid. Okay. So and, and, and so Charles and I knew each other from Capital. He was the CFO there. And so um, and it was time for me to move. I, you know, I felt like, but they offered me a much better job, you know, a bigger job, global head of marketing, EVP, right. all this stuff, lots more dough. Thank you very much. And it was a no-brainer. Um, and it was time for me to go. And I think culturally, it was a much better fit for me. What did Donnie say when you wanted to go? You're making a mistake. <laughs> Said, you know, this may be, and, and this may be the last job you have in the record business and all that. But but at the same time, he said, like, what can I say? You're going to go work for Clive. I, I love Clive. Because he worked for Clive. That's right. So, you know, he was he was doing his best to, to, to convince me not to go. And then when it splits apart, you go with Clive. I do. And But one thing about Clive, it's basically his way. What was it like working that way? I mean, when you came up with an idea and he wasn't so warm about it. I, I, I put a lot of wins on the board with Clive, you know, but because I understood how he, how he thinks. And, I, and, and, and at that point, I wasn't, I wasn't as much of a kid anymore. I had my own confidence, and that's what Columbia Records gave me, my, the belief in, in, in what I could do. And that's what Donnie wanted. That's why he would test you. He would test you to make sure you really believed that what you were doing was going to work. And then you had to go out and do it. 
that was and that was proof of concept making me feel like you know I am I am maybe as smart as I think I am sometimes you know and and he didn't torture you if you fail you know he would tease you or goof on you or whatever but he would always encourage people to to, to go for it and and but he you know he he'd guide you along he was great clive was a different version of that you know and clive you're right clive had the vision and and got a lot of the credit and 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 deserves you know it, it as well but you know I, I I like to think I helped Clive win a lot. Needless to say, Clive takes a lot of credit. We'll leave it at that. Certainly can't do without the team. So then how do you end up being at, you know, the merger happens. How do you end up on top? Uh, which merger? The Sony BMG merger? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's a there's a lot of different. Okay. Were you talking about, just I can't even remember, did Jay re-merge with Arista before Yeah, so that? what happened? Arista... Arista, L.A. Reid came in, right. lives out. We start J Records. And, and you have it, a lot of success. We have a lot of, not, thank God, we had a right. lot of success. Um, we get Arista back a couple years later. L.A.'s losing a lot of money, or Arista's losing a lot of money, but he's got hits, you know? So that that comes back into the fold, you know? Then Jive is is bought by BMG. Then Clive and Charles have oversight of, of BMG North America, which includes jive which barry runs autonomously but it, he reports into these guys um so in the meantime arista rca and j become one become rca records essentially rca j rca arista j and richard sanders for a while is running rca i'm running i'm running arista j and then richard then the merger happens richard goes off and runs international for sony bmg i then become gm of uh of, of rca j arista so you're the GM. How do you fly up to the next level? Uh, so long. So spin it up again in 2008. Um, Charles leaves the company. Clyde becomes chief creative officer of Sony. Barry Weiss takes over. He takes over um, RCA Jive. Uh, I'm GM. <clears throat> he and I hit it off great. I'm a big fan of Barry. He's quirky and smart, but he's a consummate record guy. I'm very bright, very driven. Uh, three years later, Barry opts to go to Universal. Right. Um, Doug comes in at the same time. There's a change in management. Doug Morris comes in. He uh, looks at Peter and me, and he says, okay, you guys run it, but I'm taking RCA, and I'm retiring Jive, and I'm making it just RCA. And so he gives us our shot. And I'm very grateful for Doug to give us our shot because as he would, he said with a little glint in his eye about two years later, he goes, you know, I didn't know you guys were going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and by the way, maybe we didn't either, but – but through through his support and and and, and belief, we we believe in ourselves. Well, going back to Donnie's comment, when you go to Aeros, he says this is going to be your last job in the record business. For a lot of people, they make moves, and it is their last job. Were you ever worried that hey, you know, it's going to be a game of musical chairs, and I'm going to be left out? Well, if I'm if I'm honest, I would say I always believed in myself, and I didn't think that was going to happen. But but if I'm digging down a little deeply, you always, I'm you know insecurity drives all of us. So I wasn't going to be that guy. Okay, so now we're in the present. Obviously, you lived through the Napster era. Uh, sales went down. And then, of course, in the last couple of years, as a result of streaming, they've gone back up. So it used to be the record company was king. But now a lot of record companies, if they buy any tickets for the show, very few. They're certainly not buying out clubs like there used to be. So where does the record company fit in the ecosystem today? Yeah, Um that's 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 the billion dollar question, but but obviously the record company is, is there for a lot of things. It's always been there for, which is to 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 for scale, global scale, 
to work radio, which is very difficult to work if right. you're not in there every Impossible. day. To fund on a, on a big scale, big ideas and small ideas. To have expertise, to source to source talent, both on the A and R side, i.e., producers, engineers, mixers, masters, etc. Uh, video directors, art directors, photographers, to be able to uh, sit there and 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 sync music on on a, on scale at scale, to be there every day with brands where when we come in with hundreds of acts in some cases at major labels, uh, but to know who to pitch and how to pitch it. Uh, when one pitch comes in for one act, you know, doesn't work for that act, but we spin it into yeah, another that, act, right. you know. So. And 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 you know and and just as a sounding board, you know, as a sounding board, as part of the team of of experts. Because the one thing I'll say about major labels is we're there with everybody every day through the entire food chain, for better or for worse, you know, and hopefully for the better. And and so you 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 gain access, you gain global access, you have an affiliation, you have people that are accountable to you as an artist. We're accountable to the artists. Um, you have a royalty department. You have business affairs to help sort you through. Well, the you mess. know, one of the cliches people say, "I'm assigned with an independent label." You want to talk about not getting paid? Yeah, forget it. I mean, not getting paid in some of the and so, uh, look, I'm a big believer in independent labels, but you know, they're running a shoestring. Most of them, it's really tough. And so, so in order to stay alive, they've got to have cash flow, and we have constant cash flow. They don't always have constant cash flow. Right, never more. The old days, distribution, that's, you couldn't get paid if you were an indie. That's right. But, uh, okay, so I'm an act. Tell me about the relationships with the streaming services. Let's start with the paid services, Amazon, Spotify, Apple primarily. How does a major label interface with those? That's a, that's a big question, but um, your primary role is to work with the, the, the DSPs, the digital service providers, to work on playlisting and making sure you're talking to the right editor with the right playlist at the right time for the right song for the right artists, you know? But it's much bigger than that. They have a big platform. They have marketing money. They do out-of-home advertising. They have, in some cases, radio shows, uh, podcasts and, and things and so forth. Uh, they if and, and they're not all created equal. Some are affiliated with hardware, Apple. Some are affiliated with, with digital retail, Amazon, and have a tremendous program called Prime and I think 14 markets around the world might be more. You ha you've got Spotify, which is a wonderful, you know, uh, service both ad supported and premium that is in 170 countries around the world. You know, something like that. It provides a lot of access around the world. So they're all different, and and that's again, if you're one person or one artist or one manager trying to wrap your head around that and trying to get access, and they have boots on the ground everywhere, but so do we. You know. And and so you're 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 just dealing with it all the time, and you're constantly in a constant, always on conversation about what to do. Okay, let's just narrow it down to one. Spotify, hypothetical. Yeah. Do you pick and choose what you're uh, promoting, or do you believe there's a playlist for everything? Uh, I believe there's a playlist for everything, actually. And so the, you and have your priorities, yeah. and your goal there is to get it on. The genre playlist, let's, you know, you have, what would you ask for? Well, genre is the easiest way to, to describe it, but some is lifestyle, right. some is vibe, because the, the, that's the sort of trick with, with, I call it the playlist generation, you know, many of us do. It's not, they're not, they're not beholden to genre. They may, right. they may 
go for R&B or go for hip hop or go for pop or rock or whatever, but they listen to kind of everything because there's a lot of sharing going on out there, especially the younger generation, millennials and younger. They're used to their own mixtapes, their own, they send things, you know, they, they do their own t- UGC stuff. They have playlists that, you know. User generated content. That's right. And different platforms that they, and then there's SoundCloud and there's this and there's mix, you know, my mixtapes and all this stuff. So there's a lot of different ways that, they could access music. And and when you come back to Spotify, you know, Spotify has, you know, the playlisting ability for people to share and it's social and it does a good job of that. And and so, you know, there's the idea that, you know, we look at collection, i.e. people collecting songs off of a playlisted uh, Spotify list. And, and, and the truth is, is that something like 80% of, of plays are off playlists and, uh, sorry, are off, off uh, bespoke playlists. Saved playlists. Saved playlists, not off playlists generated by really? the DSP. And do you have any uh, knowledge how many of those are saved because the person listened on a playlist or they just cherry picked and created their own playlist? I, I know there's data there. Right. I, I don't. I can't spit it out at the moment, right. but but it's, I'm sure it's a combination of both. But I think a lot of it is you sharing your playlist with me and me going, oh, I'll, I'll, I like those. Th- I didn't know those three records that Bob put on here. I like those. Or I hadn't thought of that for my list, and it fits into this playlist for my dinner party or this playlist for my drive or this playlist for my workout. Okay, so that's almost impossible to penetrate, right? No, well, yes and no. It goes back to knowing your consumer, knowing where to find them, and, and, and having the experience and the ability to reach them and communicate them to get them to listen. So, in English. In English, you have to be a good marketer. So <laughs> let's just be very narrow. If you want to reach them on Spotify, and they're basically trading playlists as opposed to going to the genre playlist. Or yeah, the but you won't, play- you won't just reach them on Spotify. That's my point. Ah. You, reach them th- you reach them through lifestyle. You reach them through social. You reach them through touring. You'll reach them through other cons- you know, levers and gotcha. other platforms. So, so nobody exists in a silo or not. An okay, I, but no let's just go back does. to your now, you're your pitching Spotify. Let's just say they put something on a playlist. You're obvi- they're obviously generating data, which is useful to you. But how long will they stay committed before they say, not working for us? It varies from playlist to playlist. If we're just talking that, you know, you can have today's top hits. I believe the average time is eight to 10 weeks. You know, right. you have other playlists like Pop Rising, which cycle through more quickly. You have Rap Caviar. You've got It's you know it's Lit. You know, they all have a different sort of um, sort of mission in terms of what they're trying to accomplish. But they, they're data-driven. They'll look at the, some – yes, there's some curation involved and the human beings involved, but they're also very data-driven. So they'll see there's burn. You know, they'll see there's the playlistings dropping, and you'll see it drop down. In the yeah, but I say, let's say you, you're something you're excited about. They put it on these playlists, and they come to you one day, said, you know, we're not going to leave it on the playlist anymore, and you're still excited about it. How do you uh, deal with that? Well, then you could go to a different playlist. Maybe you were wrong. Maybe it isn't that audience. Maybe you thought it was rap caviar, but it's really something else or, you know, that sort of thing. And and so you might just pivot and go somewhere else or uh, it's just not a very good record. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, since you're in the belly of the beast, what is the most useful data that you've ever – I'm talking about specific kind of data that you've gotten from streaming services that – is either very useful or surprising, other than people listening primarily to their save playlists. Yeah, there's a, there's a, I mean, there's a number. Where do I start? But I, but you know, collection, people putting stuff on their playlists, skip rates. Are that why? 
are they skipping when they're skipping? They're skipping at the beginning of the song or right at the hook or a little bit later in the song. Um, what uh, sort of click rates, you know, um, what kind of likes people have. You have sentiment, you know, um, data about how people feel, you know, and so you try to sift through those words and, and, and create because it's an emotional product. So you, and, and, and that's particularly helpful on the first blush of something, whether you're just putting out something new from Dua Lipa or whether you're putting out something new from a fairly unknown act, but you find you have a very, we have a sat cave town. It's a sort of a, a, of a pop alt kid from the UK and very, very emo and very bedroom pop, but very connected. And he's just sold out a venue here, the Fonda, you know, I mean, he's going, doing very, very well. And we, we haven't had a new album out in a while. In fact, his previous one was indie. So we have an album coming out and I think, I believe it's February. So he, he, he played there and, and, you know, you watch what's going on there. And, 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 and so, you know, you're looking at, at the connectivity that, 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 that happens off of that emotion. You know, it's so emotional, that product. But you'll look at the sentiment meter around that and you'll say, okay, that's super passionate. That's like a lot of love there, you know, and significant streams in the 25 million range, but not the 250 million right. range. But we're betting long on Cave Town. We're betting long on Robin, who's the artist. So we'll look at that. Or Hobo Johnson, you know, another act out of Sacramento. Frank, his name is, and he's he's got the same thing. You know, you'll, you'll see the passion behind what's going on there, and then and then you morph out of, off the services and see that he's selling out fifteen hundred theaters and doing eleven bucks a head in merch. Okay, there's a lot of passion behind him. Have we hit radio yet with a song that's gone all the way? Not yet, but they're 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 aware. They're paying attention. Okay, I saw you at the Rufus du Soul. Uh, show where they sold out the LA State Historical Park neighborhood of fifteen thousand. Uh, they've not a, put out a record under your management. What's the plan for something like that? They they have put out a record. Under, oh, they have. Under I my thought watch. they had. No, they had last year. Okay, and um, and Solace is their first album with with the label. Came out ri- more or less right when I arrived, like four or five months later. Um, but they're one of my favorite acts around. Period. I, I just think they're phenomenal, and they're they're building themselves into a stadium act with their with their live show. And so you know the plan for them is t- is to turn them into one of the biggest acts in the world. You know. Uh, they made they made sort of a they made solace was a, was a was sort of a very personal album. It was a little bit of a down mood. It streamed fairly well. It hasn't exploded. I don't believe we've really reached on 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 the record label side of things a new audience. Um, but we've really solidified the audience. But live, it's amazing what's going on. It was actually twenty one thousand people. It was their biggest show ever, ever. And they're doing Ali Pali in the UK this week, which is ten thousand plus. They just come off here of doing two Red Rocks at seven thousand plus, so they're massive in Australia where they're truly, truly stars. Um, the plan is to for them to get in the studio and make n- a new record that maybe is a bit more commercially leaning. But you know they're going to make the music they want to make. Okay, so would you give them input? Say this is a hit, not a hit, or I want uh, a hit. Yeah, we're, we're well, we always want a hit. I'm right. not, not going to lie. But would you say, hey, I don't hear a hit? But you know, you hits hits are you can't really just manufacture hits. There is a magic to it. You can there there are certain writers and producers that have formulas that they apply and, and they work from time to time. But 
um, for an act that's that's self-contained like Rufus, they're a proper old school band in that way. They they've been on album cycles. We just like we we need more product from them to come out when they're doing a great job. And it's early days still for us in that in that kind of arc of their career. But we need more product from them, more music, more connectivity, and they're doing a tremendous job touring. But then we need to keep that virtuous cycle going. And and but yeah, uh, you know they'll they'll go into the studio and. And maybe they're in a brighter mood than they were on Solace because usually hits are pretty happy. You know, even if they're breakup right. hits, they have a brightness to them. Um, and and we'll see what happens. But I'm I'm not I don't want to put any undue pressure on them because I don't think that it's fair. And I think that what's going to happen with them is the market is more likely to come around to them than them coming around to the market. And those are always the best acts yeah, the of the most longevity. Act. Okay, to what degree we talked about socials. You ever have an act say, I don't want to make a deal? I mean, everyone's picking and choosing, but someone say like the old days, hey, I my credibility, I don't want to tie up with any brands or anything. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, less and less. It, it doesn't happen. It's more, I don't want to do that sort of brand. Right. I want to do the cool brand, whatever they whatever they think right. is appropriate for them. And we're fully supportive of them. We're not, we never make anybody do anything. We can't make anybody of course. do anything. Okay. Now, Scott Cohn is a friend of mine. He works in your company. I don't know. He's chief technical officer or something. And he was telling me about this new data plan. And Zach with Scooter was going on with me about that Warner has a new way of looking at acts, new way of collecting data such that you literally know who every fan is of an act and you will monetize that relationship. I'd like to see it. Sounds great. Not something you're <laughs> employing. We, I'm aware of, of what you're talking about. It's a beta. It's in beta right now. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, we have, there's, there's, there's an artist dashboard we have that we share with artists that's new and it's really terrific. If that's what he's talking about. I, I, and no, he's talking about something, you know, different. As I say, you know, he's a blue sky guy anyway. Yeah. So, but Lee, we have the answer. So just before we wrap it up, anything you need to say that we haven't covered <laughs> as I tear about the gear here. Yeah, wonderful. Um, yeah, we've covered a lot. We covered a lot, but I want to make sure you get your say of anything. And I'm very grateful okay. to, for the time and the platform. Okay, and I, and but I, as I say, you know, you're sitting in a different perspective from me, so maybe there's something I don't see. Yeah, I just think that you know, from from where I sit, there's a lot of people that a lot of people that have an agenda about undermining what labels do, what major labels do, and and I think some of them can substantiate it to a point, but most of them can't, and that label. So, but but. Not, notwithstanding that, the criticisms constructively are taken constructively. And we have to morph and we have to change our skill set and retrain our people and get new ideas and innovation, and people like Scott will help with that. And we, we are working very hard at Warner and Warner Music Group of you know, creating different sort of channels so that that dashboard or that information you know, does come to light and is shareable with our acts so that we provide a real added value down the line. And I think what we provide now is more than adequate, but we, we need to get better. We need to get more integrated with the agenda, not just of the artists, but with our partners and what we're doing and more aligned so that, so that our place at the table is solid, it's explainable, it's transparent, it's understandable, and more than anything, it's, we can implement it, you know? That begets a couple of questions. You know, the... Unlike in the physical days, these streaming companies pay more frequently. So if I'm an act, let's just assume for the sake of discussion, I'm in the black. How often would I get paid? The same six-month period? or would At it be the moment, it's, it's, it's six months, yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So let's just go one step further. You talk about the major label. I am old enough to remember the d- the days where if you weren't on the major label, you essentially weren't a player. First, you probably couldn't afford to record, but you couldn't get on the radio. And if you got, I mean, the famous story is Bobby Womack on Beverly Glen Records. He had a platinum album, put the company out of business because mm-hmm. they literally couldn't collect <laughs> the money. So we know there's more music being made than ever before. Okay. Granted, most of it is literally not listened to if you go on Spotify. There are millions of tracks that have never been listened to. So this vastness, whereas the major labels, there used to be six, controlled everything. What do we say to the, the, and there are certain genres, like we talked about Klezmer, that traditionally the major labels are not looking for, but there was a time they put out everything, they were the only avenue. Is there a, what are your thoughts about all these other scenes that, the major labels are presently not in. Um, they have they have relevance and vibrancy, and there's and now there's very little friction once you're a subscriber to, right. to discovery and to and to access, and they have to battle their way to whatever relevancy they do because they fight at a different weight class. But everybody, there's a champion of every weight class. You know, it just depends on which weight class you're in. Okay, so you would anticipate the major. We have none such, by the way. Okay, so it's an affiliated label to Warner Warner Records, and they have wonderful acts. You know that Vagabond is just is a record that came out this week. I urge everybody to listen to it. She's terrific. You know, you have Yola. You know, which was produced by one of the Black Keys. She's terrific. You know, at the same time, you have David Byrne on the label. You know, who we don't have to explain David Byrne, do we? He's a wonderful. You know, all timer. Let's just stay with none such. So none such reports to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So certainly if most revenue is from streaming these days, we know those records tend to have presently very low streams. Yeah, it's challenging. So I would think it'd be very challenging to make money on those records. Oh, look, if you're looking at traditionally what Nonesuch did, yes, it, it, they're, in, they're in, a, in a position where they're morphing and pivoting into the streaming area. So that's in, at the top of the agenda for the management there. Having said that, though, we, we touched on Suburban, who I think – five years ago would have been just a rock act, you know, that was put into a certain basket. But because of what he's brought to the market, there's now a streaming story behind Suburban. And now radio is going to follow that or the traditional sort of outlets to go. If, if none you, such, none yeah. such had, that's why I mentioned YOLO because I think, or I mentioned Vagabond, none such is morphing into that area. And that's down to A&R and marketing and understanding that, that whilst some of their artists may struggle to stream, the, there's a new generation of artists that might not be that different from what those artists are, but they're of a certain generation. They might be digital natives who know how to communicate differently or more efficiently. And their marketing and their promotion has to be on point with how the market moves today. And certainly all the genres, you know, the audiences will ultimately move to streaming. Hip hop was there first, but, you know, countries, you know, better streaming than ever. Countries better than rock. Okay, you've been listening to a comprehensive viewpoint of what is going on in with the big kahuna, the major label world, someone who's literally worked at all major label groups by today's standards. And Tom, thanks so much for being here. Bob, it's been my pleasure. So once again, that's Tom Corson, co-chairman, COO of Warner Music. Till next time, this is Bob Lefsetz.
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.